0: Hello, people of the way. Uh, we are going to continue our study through the book of Acts. And if you have your Bibles with you today, turn to Acts 22, chapter 22, the book of Acts, where we ended last week. You know, I have to say, and I think I said this already, but the uh, this is pretty terrible what's happening to Paul. You know, and it kills me. It just eats away at me because, you know, you fall in love with Paul. We read the account of his... Uh, 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 when he became a believer and how the Lord used him. And what a beautiful, beautiful man, you know, on many levels, uh, many different perspectives. It's like, wow, what a beautiful man that the Lord has made. You read his epistles to the early church, Uh, you know, at that time it was like it was blowing up, you know. And it just, it's, it's, it's difficult to read through these passages because you start to see, In a carnal sense, the demise of Paul. In a spiritual sense, the the, the emboldening of Paul. Uh, Where we ended last week in chapter 21, you see how uh, uh, Paul is about to speak to the Jewish people, the Jews. They were coming against him to uh, 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 persecute him. And remember, he was captured by the commander And in in, uh, uh, chapter 21 verse uh 37 says then as paul went then then as paul was about to be led into the barracks he said to the commander may i speak to you he replied can you speak greek can you speak greek are you not the egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the four thousand assassins out into the wilderness and then you know the commander was like who is this guy the Jews want to kill him. The Jews are doing this against him. Who in the world is this guy? I have no idea. Could it be this guy? Could Are you the Egyptian? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. He wants to speak to his accusers, Paul, the Jewish people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with a hand to his people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, and that's where we ended last week. Kind of a weird place to end, you know. No, no disrespect to the Lord, like you know, like that. You know, the word is weird, but I meant you, know, you ever see like you know movies like a trilogy, and it's like right at the you know this the build up for the scene, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's like ends, and you're like, what, what? And then you gotta wait a year for the you know part two. It's like, man, you know, that's how I feel with this chapter, you know. We ended chapter 21, and it's like, oh, man, you leave me hanging, you know. And here we are in chapter 22, and it just picks up where we left off. There's a great silence. Remember, he spoke to Greek; they spoke in Greek to the commander, but now he busts out his Hebrew. He speaks Hebrew to the Jewish people. There's a great silence. And this is what he says to them in verse 1, uh, uh, chapter 22. Brethren and fathers... Hear my defense before you now. Remember in chapter 20, verse 26 and 27. Turn with me really quick to chapter 20, verse 26 to 27. Chapter 20, 26 says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. This is when he's speaking to the elders of Ephesus. It's the Miletus meeting. And he's speaking to the elders. He says, you guys, I'm innocent. I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Why? Because he has not shunned. He has not avoided or concealed or cowered in fear to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And that's what he's doing here in his defense. Unbeknownst to them, because he's giving them truth, he's still innocent of the blood of all men. I love Paul's stance and his position in Christ, his station in life at this particular moment. Even when he's bound, even when it's leading to his imprisonment and ultimately his death. Because he stands for Christ. He stands for Jesus Christ. And it's so beautiful. Look what happens here. He says, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in, he, in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. You see? So like at the end of uh, uh, chapter 21, is, uh, he, there was great so uh, he motioned with his hands. I mean, have you ever been like, at a, you know, one time I was giving a speech at a, uh, in a wedding, you know, and everybody was really loud. And then all of a sudden I had to like, you know, bang on some glasses, you know, and everything just got really silent. And then I started to speak. But you know, it, even more so, it says in verse uh, 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 40 of the previous chapter, there was great silence. And then all of a sudden, he start, starts speaking in Hebrew, and it's, they got even more silent. It's like, whoa, this guy's speaking to us in our language. They kept all the more silent. And then he said in verse 3 I am indeed a Jew. And we're going to find out he's also a Roman citizen. But we're going to see here in verse 3, he says, I am indeed indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city. I was raised in this city, Jerusalem, remember? So, yeah, I'm a Jew um, of Tarsus in the region of Cilicia, but I was raised in Jerusalem. At the feet of Gamaliel. Remember Gamaliel? We we saw uh, Gamaliel in, in um, uh, uh, chapter five of the book of Acts. He's a Pharisee, a teacher, well known. You know, and Paul has great respect for his teacher. And in the count, you know, Gamaliel was included in the council of the high priest. So there was this Jewish council, and there's the high priest. There's all these elders of Israel, and this teacher by the name of Gamaliel. Not an unknown fellow. He says, "I was raised in this city in Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's laws, of our father's law. You know, taught to be educated and trained. Mind you, it's by Gamaliel, who was in the council of the high priests. Not an unknown fellow." And Paul starts to explain his pedigree, so to speak. His pedigree. Like, you know Gamaliel, guys? And, you know, every well-known teacher of uh, Pharisee, but well-known teacher of the law. Hardcore. It'd be like, not so much now because of liberalism, but it'd be like, you know, in 1950, saying, yeah, I'm a student of Yale. You know, I go to Yale. You know, people think you're just an average Joe. And you want to be an average Joe, but then when you're in front of your accusers, you kind of start to indicate your pedigree. No, yeah, I'm, you know, from this area, but I'm a student at Yale, 1950s Yale, you know, uh, 2020 Yale, it's you know, the school of liberalism, you know, they change minds of young people today but back in the day they were beautiful like harvard you know the, the 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 institution of harvard you know at its inception it's beautiful and god fearing i would say but then in the course of time what happens liberalization and look what we have today it's just institution indoctrination of liberalization of our kids but paul he starts to explain his pedigree you know gamaliel guys that's my teacher that's my teacher. According to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are all to, as you all are today. Remember, he's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to them in Hebrew. He references his pedigree, you know, of, uh, of Gamaliel, and he's saying, "I was like you guys. I was just like you." In verse four, how was I just like you? He says this. I persecuted this way. I was a persecutor. To the death. Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. We see, you know, if you recall our study in Galatians, in Galatians 1 verse 13, his goal was to destroy the church. That was his goal. And so look what happens here. In verse 5, as also the high priest bearing me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren. So Paul's mission, he was like straight up on assignment to end the way. End the church. That was his mission. And you know... Paul had access to the high priest, had access to the council of elders, had access to Gamaliel. That was his pedigree. He was one of the inside crowd. And so look what happens. He says, and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. He was hardcore. He was like straight up on a mission, on a rampage. how he persecuted the way to the death and then something happened on his way to Damascus and this he gives his testimony here in verse 6 remember he's speaking to the Jewish people the Jewish people that want to you know they want him arrested they want him killed and the Roman guards are there there's a little entourage of Roman I shouldn't say little it's a pretty big entourage of Roman guards there Look at the news that you see today. You see the riots in certain cities, huge riots. Picture something like that, a riot that just wants to kill Paul. Uncle and like police are pushing back. You know, like, well, you know, don't come near. And Paul's like on the staircase, on the top of the stairs. He asks permission. He asked, Can I speak to the people? It's okay. Go ahead and speak to the people. And Paul's giving his testimony, bearing witness. And so, this is what he says in verse 6. Now it happened. Remember, he he just explained his pedigree access to the high priest, access to uh, the council, the elders. Not an average Joe. Gamaliel, he was my teacher. His pedigree is made known. Now it happened. As I journeyed and came near Damascus, so he's not in Damascus; he's near Damascus. You know we have to make that differentiation because you know outside of Damascus, what happened at about noon? suddenly, a great light from heaven shone around me. We're getting a firsthand account of what happened on the Damascus road in Chapter nine. We read about this account, but it was written in the third person. Remember Dr. Luke Dr. Luke wrote about it somewhere, you know, at some point in time, probably around maybe chapter 16, uh, Luke and Paul connected. And then you see how everything transfers into the first person. You see some some verses that are written in the first person where Dr. Luke is included. And so prior to that moment, there was some interaction where, I mean, just think about it. Like, you know, if 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 you have a personal account, and, you know, I'm writing like a story. I'm writing an account of, you know, like a, a journal about what, how the Lord used you. And, you know, I'm going to ask you, like, you know, you're going to tell me what happened. I'm going to inquire, ask some questions, and then I'm going to write it down. That's how Dr. Luke was to Paul. And Dr. Luke is still writing writing the, full, the, the, the book of Acts. But then at the same time, we're getting Paul's account, firsthand account. Of what happened on the Damascus Road. And look what happens here in verse 7. And I fell to the ground. So this great light from heaven shone around me, he says. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Straight up, point blank. Why are you you persecuting me? I love how the Lord straight up, we have encounters with the Lord. Point-blank, you know, it's not at a distance straight-up point-blank. I remember when I came to the Lord. And it was confrontation of truth and confrontation. Like, confrontation of truth where my filth had it met with truth. And I had a choice to make. The same applies with you. The same applies with all who believe. And the same applies to whosoever will believe. Why are you persecuting me? Notice the red letters. So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. People of the way. Remember, Paul said, I I persecuted this way to the death. People of the way. Jesus Christ is saying, you know, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He's saying, the people, they're me. It's so beautiful because, you know, the Word became flesh. But what happens when you, when I, when we consume the Word of God? Because of the transformation? By renewing of our minds? Reckoning the old man dead? Reckoning the old woman dead? You know the saying, "You are what you eat." What happens to you and me when we consume the Word? We become the body of Christ. Supernaturally speaking, these these are these are supernatural truths, supernatural events which cannot be carnally defined, carnally understood. I mean, have you ever talked to you know uh, uh, you know in sharing the good news? Maybe a non-believer asks you questions. And then a non-believer asks you questions, questions, questions. And they're like, wow, you know what? I believe. Praise be unto the Lord. But then other people might ask you questions. They're like, this is nonsense. This is crazy. You guys believe myths. That's because the Holy Spirit is the one who quickens hearts. The Holy Spirit convicts hearts. And someone, you know, don't, don't be discouraged when somebody rejects you, when somebody rejects the good news that you're telling them about don't be discouraged pray for them and you know what round two and that might be a week later it might be a month later it might be a year later round two round three round four round five then you know round six round seven you go for the knockout you know you don't want to go you don't want to go to judgment you don't want this person to enter into judgment so it's like okay round seven is this knockout time praise be to the lord so look what happens here. In verse nine, and those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So the people that were with Paul saw at the time his his, his name was, his name was always Saul. His name was always Paul. But there's like the the Greek uh, the, the 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 Greek in, in, I mean, you kind of see it like uh, uh, European. Uh, um, uh, uh, immigrants who came to the country, they go to uh, 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 the island uh, in New York. I forgot the name of the island, but they go to the island to pass the Statue of Liberty, or they go on that island that said the Statue of Liberty, and, and or near the statue, or uh, Ellis Island, I think it is. So they go there and they say, What's your name? And, you know, you have this like European name. It's like, Whoa, the, you know, how do we say that? So they just change the name to something that sounds close, you know? So they say, Oh, my name is. Uh, yeah, uh, Crystalopolis or something like that. I don't know. I just made that up. They say, okay, your name is Christopher. It's easier, it's America. And so that says here in verse in, in uh, uh, these people, they 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 saw the light, but they were deaf to the voice of Jesus. This is Saul's entourage, and then you know they. After that, you see how Paul was or Saul was referred to as Paul. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily like a name change, but the reference, you know, it's so beautiful because what about you and me in Christ Jesus, our Lord? You know, your, your name doesn't change, but what changes? Your character, your nature, because you are no longer of the carnal nature. You're of a spiritual nature. That's what happens when you reckon the old man dead and you reckon the old woman dead. You have your spiritual Ellis Island, so to speak. Same name, different nature. Same name, different character. I mean, you talk to people, you know, you talk to people about their testimonies. It's like, man, this guy was like this. Whoa, whoa, this lady was like this. Praise be to the Lord because now they're on fire for the Lord and the Lord is using them. So when we look at Paul, I mean, it's like, wow, the Lord can do that with you. The Lord can do that with anybody, anybody. And just this, you know, like a, a spiritual uh, a Ellis Island. I think it's Ellis. I'm pretty sure it is. But it's the one in New York where all the immigrants came. So <clears throat> in verse 10, so I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus. So before he was outside of, Doma- outside of Damascus, in verse 6, near Damascus, here in verse 10, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do, which are assigned and ordained for you to do. And you know what's so beautiful about this call that God has for Paul? You see, Paul's obedience. Paul's obedience. Let's go to Acts chapter nine really quick. Acts nine, and you see in Acts nine, you know, you see a picture of Ananias, the good Ananias. There's Ananias and Sapphira, but this is a different Ananias. The Ananias and Sapphira, that's a husband and wife duo that lied to the Holy Spirit. Don't be like that, Ananias, or Sapphira. Be like this, Ananias. You see, Ananias, it's so beautiful because the Lord is speaking to him in a vision. That's in Acts 9, verse 10. And, you know, he calls out to Ananias. And Ananias says, here I am, Lord. Here I am. And the Lord gives him instruction to go and meet with Saul of Tarsus. And all of a sudden, Ananias is like, "Uh, Lord, you know, um, Lord. He says in verse 13, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You see? It's so cool because as we read, you know, we're in chapter 22 of Acts. But like what we read from this point on, you see the hand of the Lord upon Paul in the the footsteps of Paul and how the Lord used him. But then at the same time, look at what the Lord revealed to beautiful Ananias. He's my vessel, Ananias. He's going to bear my name to the Gentiles, to kings and to Israel. What have we seen thus far? Paul, bearing witness before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. In verse 16, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And this whole time, you see the obedience of Paul. Faith and works, working together. Belief and obedience, working together. The same way it is with you, the same way it is with me, faith and works. It's not the gift of works and the gift of faith. It's the two working together. That's what Brother James writes to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You can't say, oh, I have the gift of faith. Oh, I have the gift of works. I have the gift of belief. I have the gift of obedience. No, belief and obedience it's coincide. They're one and the same. And it's so beautiful because we go back to 22, verse 10, chapter 22, verse 10. And what do we see here? The Lord said to Paul, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which are appointed, which are assigned and ordained for you to do. Remember what we read in chapter 9. I will show him. The Lord was speaking to Ananias. I'm going to show him, Ananias. I'm going to show him the things that he must suffer for my name. Makes you wonder about Paul's intimacy with the Lord. Remember when he told the guys to go on the boat? You guys go on the boat. I'm going to walk. I'll meet you in Asos. I'll meet you in Asos. And you wonder about Paul's journey while he was walking the trails. Walking the path to Asos. In his intimacy with the Lord. And how the Lord was giving him assurance and comforting him. And the whole time, just as we studied in in, in chapters past, the whole time the Holy Spirit was ministering to him. Chains await you, Paul. Chains and tribulations await you, Paul. And he didn't run the other way. In obedience, he stayed faithful to his call, stayed faithful to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, his King. Beautiful, beautiful intimacy with the Lord, the same intimacy that you and I have in Christ. when you fall on your knees, you close your eyes and boom in the presence of the Lord, and you pray and you talk to him, you know when you read your Bible, talk to the Lord, you know, pray unto him, make your prayers and supplications, don't you open up your Bible and you, it's like a conversation I mean you pick up the phone. What do you have? You know, you say something, and the person you're speaking to says something, and you have a beautiful conversation. You have beautiful intimacy. I mean, depending on what the conversation is. But then the same thing applies with our Lord. You read the Bible. You sit on your couch. You open up your Bible, and you start to read. You read a couple of verses. It's like, wow, Lord. Lord, you're blowing me away. This is so cool. And then you keep reading. He he speaks. And you pause there and you're like, wow, Lord, you you blow me away with the previous verses and now I'm blown away, Lord. Like, you know, like I've I've blown it because, you know, your truth is teaching me that I have sinned. Lord, I repent. Forgive me, Lord. I blew it. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have behaved this way. I shouldn't have thought this. Lord, forgive me. Boom, Holy Spirit comforts you. And then you keep reading more verses. Wow, Lord, this is such a joy. It's like you're taking a shower. Have you ever been like filthy dirty? a hard days work. Or just playing out in the mud or doing whatever. And you're filthy, you're all grimy. And then you take a shower and it's like, boom. It's like, wow, you're washed clean. That's how intimacy is with the Lord. You open up your Bible, you read, pause. Wow, Lord, forgive me. I didn't know you thought this way, Lord, and I've been playing games with you this whole time. Wow, Lord, I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me, Lord. I repent before you. It's like you're taking a shower, being washed clean by his word. And then you keep reading. He speaks. Then you pause. Then you speak. Then you keep reading. He speaks. And you have beautiful intimacy with Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. And the whole time you're consuming him, Spirit- metaphysically speaking, spiritually, you're consuming him. And you're being transformed by a renewing of your minds, being created in the image of God. Physically, you're created in the image of God. You know what? He's not done with you. For his work to continue requires belief in Jesus Christ. And then the work continues. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in your heart and the Holy Spirit building brick by brick by brick by brick by brick a temple inside of you for the Shekinah glory. When you think about our walk, our temples in these terms, it helps the Old Testament Minister to you in a deeper, deeper way because you also see the temple, you also see the Shekinah glory, you also see victories and losses. What happens when the glory of the Lord leaves the temple? Precursory to that is some kind of sin, either from a king or a priest. It's beautiful. As New Covenant believers, the same exact concept applies to us. Where's the obedience? Where's the obedience? These are things that when we have intimacy with Jesus Christ, He build, the Holy Spirit builds more and more and more and more. And when the Lord is done with you, you'll be dead. You'll take your last breath. And the Lord's like, you know, wiping His hands, you know, okay. I'm all done. And then you take your last breath and boom, in the presence of the Lord, paradise. And so look what happens here in verse 11. Remember, Paul is giving his, speaking in Hebrew, he's speaking to the Jewish people, the ones who want to kill him. He says in verse 11, and since I cannot see for the glory of that light. For the glory of that light. So, you know, we read in chapter 9, I mean, we've already studied chapter 9. You know, we, we see uh, a third-person account of what happened as written by Dr. Luke. But now we're getting this firsthand account of what happened. And yes, the Lord took his sight. He, remember, he couldn't see. But now we see how. It's the Lord's glory. He says in verse 11, I could not see for the glory of that light. Whoa. Think about how bright and brilliant that light must have been. Remember, it's noontime. He says in verse 6, I came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly, a great light from heaven shone around me. So it's noontime. So it's already bright in the day. And a greater light appeared before him. So great that it took his vision away. I mean, have you ever gone to the movie theaters you know, and, you know, you go during the day, you go to get the cheap tickets, get the matinee price, get the cheap tickets. And then, you know, and you come out, it's like, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon and in summer, it's bright. And it's like your eyes, it's like you're blind for a couple seconds because it's like you've been in this dark theater watching a movie and then, you know, a clean movie. And then all of a sudden you walk out, you know, take the little side exit, the doors open, you walk out. It's like, boom, it's like, whoa, I can't even see for a couple seconds. I'm blind. That's how bright it is that's how what happened to Paul. It was noontime, no darkness, it was already bright in the day, but a greater light shone before him and around him the brilliance and the glory of the Lord. That's what Paul says in verse eleven. I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those who were with me. I came into Damascus then. A certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law. So he's a Jew, but he's a believer. He's also of the way. A devout man, beautiful Ananias. According to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. In verse in, in chapter 9 says that scales fell from his eyes. Scales, straight up. In Romans 11, we're going to see like all of Israel, one day at the fullness of the Gentiles, blindness is going to be removed from Israel. And that's what you, we're going to get to that when we get to in, in Romans. We're going to study that hardcore when we get to the book of Romans, which is going to be in a couple months probably. But you see what happened to Paul? His blindness was removed. Scales fell from his eyes. In verse 14, then he said, the God of our fathers. Now, this is a big deal to Jews when you hear about the mention of the fathers because it's like in the Old Testament, like Genesis type of stuff. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the patriarchs. You know, these are like the heavy hitters for the Hebrew people. Even today, you know the fathers. It's like Abraham. Just like, you know, uh, 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 Lazarus and the rich man. Remember that on earth, you know, you have uh, the account of the rich man and Lazarus. But when the Lord starts to speak about them, we don't know. I mean, we, what's so cool is that we never know the rich guy's name, we know the poor guy's name, Lazarus. And then you know the rich guy he cries out, Father Abraham, Father Abraham. You see, so the church father, or not the church fathers, but you know the uh, the the. Fa- I guess in in one sense, you know, in, in accordance to the promise that God had to Abraham, you could say, you know, I I could understand why somebody could say the church fathers, you know, how it was accounted unto him for righteousness, Abraham. Now you know he was. The gospel was preached to him and it was counted uh, uh, unto him as righteousness, unto righteousness. But, you know, to a Jew, that's hardcore to say our fathers. Remember, he's speaking to Jews that want to kill him. He stated his pedigree. Like, I had access to the high priest, you guys. I had access to the council, the elders. I'm Gamaliel's student. And he's giving his testimony. Of how he came to Christ, he speaks about uh, Ananias, a devout man. In verse fourteen, then he said, "The God of our fathers has chosen you." This is what Ananias tells him, tells Paul, "Has chosen you." This word is for chosen is not eklegomai, as we see in other passages. It's a purpose upon a person. The God of our fathers. Has purposed you. Is how it translates. That you should know his will. And see the just one. And hear the voice of his mouth. Wow. Now you understand why Paul's a little. Different than the average bear. A little different. There's something different about him. He was purposed, just as is written here in verse 14, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Remember in our study last week in chapter 21, verse 12 and, four, uh, 12 and uh, we'll just start. Actually, look at verse 11 when uh, Agabus came to town. Agabus was a prophet. And this is what was says in verse 11. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. They were telling Paul, Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. It's too dangerous for you. It's dangerous, Paul, and it makes you wonder: Are they giving incorrect counsel? Well, you understand their perspective because you have apostles with him, evangelists with him. You know, a prophet, Agabus, prophetesses, the daughters of uh, uh, um, of uh, Philip, Paul's travel companions. You have disciple other disciples there. Paul, don't go. Go to Jerusalem, Paul. It's too dangerous. You're too important, Paul. We love you so much. Not that there's lesser value on another person. But wow, Paul, like, don't go. Verse 13, then Paul answered, What do you mean, you guys? Why are you doing this? You're crying Why? you're breaking my heart, you guys. What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not ready, not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Something different about this guy, Paul. So when he would not be persuaded, and it's not just, you know, Joe Schmo's that are trying to persuade him. And, you know, not to place, you know, I don't mean Joe Schmo disrespectfully. You got some heavy hitters with him. Dr. Luke. Apostles, evangelists, prophets, prophetesses, the companions, other disciples. His inner circle. They could not persuade Paul. Something different about this guy, Paul. He says in verse six fourteen, we can't persuade him, so we ceased. Saying the will of the Lord be done. Now we read verse 14 of chapter 22. And we understand the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Now you start to understand. We get a little picture and we get to understand why his letters became canon. The majority of the New Testament is written by Brother Paul. He's a dead man walking. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Who says that? People think about death as like, oh, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. They go through all these great lengths to prolong life. Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Who says that? He's a dead man walking. I don't know. I don't say that disrespectfully. I don't say that in jest. But I say that to exemplify the fact that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Paul just happens to be a little different than the average bear. And that's what's so cool about the halls of faith, the people that, the the great cloud of witnesses that surround us. And how great and immense it is. But even among these people, the multitude, there's some where it's like, whoa. There's something different about this guy. There's something different about this gal. Hannah. Remember Hannah? Her husband laughed at her. The high priest laughed at her. Thought she was drunk. Everybody thought she was a crazy lady. But the eyes of the Lord were upon her. And he blessed her. Something different about certain people in the Bible. I mean, we have like, you know, all these different acts of faith. But, you know, among them, there's just several where it's like, whoa, this guy's blowing me away. This lady's blowing me away. Much of New Testament canon, the bulk of New Testament canon is written by this dead guy. While he was alive, yet dead. And what do I mean when I say that? I mean, dead to self. That Paul could know the will of the Lord, as is written here in verse 14. You know, there's a lot, there's something growing in the church today where people say, you know, oh, God has his will, and then God has his perfect will. I hate that. You don't see that in the Bible, the, the differentiation between, you know, God's will and God's perfect will. To suggest such a thing, to teach such a thing, to lean on such a teaching, suggests that there is imperfection in God's will. No, God's will is God's will. And God is perfect. But a lot of people like to say, oh, there's God's will and then there's His perfect will. You don't see that separation in the Bible. So why teach it? Why lean on it? It's been formulated to uh, uphold a certain doctrine, a certain leaning doctrinally. But we'll see. You know, that's what's so beautiful about the last days. All these certain doctrines are going to be exposed as not able to hold water, so to speak. You know, when you hear people say that, you know, there's God's will and God's perfect will. Don't accept it. God is perfect. God's will is perfect. The question is, am I in it? Are you in it? Sometimes people make the separation to kind of excuse sin. Well, I'm in God's will, but it's not his perfect will. That's like, you know, that's an excuse. They say, yeah, you know, I shouldn't have beat up my wife, uh, but it's not God's perfect will. Oh, you know what? I shouldn't have done my crack. But, you know, that's, you know, because I'm of the elect, it's permissible. Uh, but, you know, uh, there's His perfect will. I got to strive for His perfect will. No, you can't make that separation. The Bible doesn't make that separation. God's will is perfect. So, abide in Christ. And He in you. These powerful truths that were... Learning from Paul's testimony, and so look what happens here in verse fifteen. For you will be his witnesses. He's giving a, 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 a his testimony of what Ananias is telling him, telling Paul what he told Paul in chapter nine. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. It's a, the beauty of a love relationship with Jesus Christ. It's it's very personal. It cannot be taken away. Cannot. You know, like, you heard me mention your intimacy with Christ. You sit on your couch, there's nobody with you. It's just you and Him. You open up your Bible, you start to read. You say a little prayer, you read more. You talk to Him in prayer, you read more. And there's something so immensely beautiful about that intimacy that you have with the Lord. That nobody can take that away from you because it's the Lord unto you, you unto the Lord. It's a very special moment. Nobody can ever take that away. I'll give you an example, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll talk politics for a second. You, have you ever heard like a politic, like you watch maybe on YouTube or you watch like a, you know a live news, live footage? You hear a politician speak. Yeah, maybe a little five minute, you know, five minute, ten minute job, you know, and you, you know the the politician speaks. It's like, okay, and you know, it's like, you understand what is said. And then you turn on fake news. And then what happens? You see all the spin doctors, you know, they say, oh, you know, this was said, this was, and you're like, what? That? that he didn't even say that. A little manipulation start to, starts to go into effect. And I don't want to, you know, uh, mix politics with, but I'm just giving an example. That's what's so beautiful about intimacy that you have with Jesus Christ. Nobody can take it away. And when you're a Berean, you're reading His Word, and the Holy Spirit is explaining and you know helping you discern, because the Word of God is spiritually discerned. And the Holy Spirit is helping you in this discernment, I don't want to say process, but it kind of is a process as you grow and matriculate and mature in Christ. And then, you know, you listen to a sermon, you listen to a preacher on TV. And they say, oh, the Bible says this, the Bible teaches that. And you're like, no, it doesn't. That's not what the verse means. You see, it's. Have you ever listened? I mean, sometimes I watch TBN. TBN. Not for edification, but more as like, you know, a fight school, you know? Tricking believers nightly, TBN. Sometimes I turn on the TV, I flip on TV, the TBN, tricking believers nightly, nightly. And I listen to these preachers. And a guy will say something. It's like, what? That they'll say, oh yeah, the Bible says this. This passage says it's like No, it doesn't. And it's so beautiful because that's what I mean when I talk about intimacy with the Lord. Nobody can take it away from you. No matter what the spin doctors say, it's intimate. It's something that the Lord, you and the Lord. You and Him. Nobody else. And it's so cool because we see that with Paul. This special intimacy where the Lord has purposed him to know his will, to see the just one, and to hear the voice of his mouth. That's why you say Paul's different. You hear me say that quite a bit. Something different about Paul. And so, look what happens here in verse 16. And now, why are you waiting? Remember, Ananias is speaking to Paul. Paul's giving his testimony. Why are you waiting? Question mark. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. You see how beautiful this is. Paul in giving his testimony is, you know, giving a little bit of the gospel too. Kind of uh, uh, creatively. I have to say something here, but, you know, in verse 16 says, why are, you, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Many, 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 many people. They say, you know, oh, well, Paul became a Christian, but it was, you know, it was poof, the Holy Spirit made him a Christian. When I say many, many of the Calvinistic Reformed Presbyterian leaning. My friends who are in the Reformed Doctrine. I'm not a reformist. I'm not into reformed theology. I call it reformed theology, but I also call it reformed theory. People say, yeah, on the Damascus Road, poof, the Holy Spirit made Paul a Christian. But you know what the Bible says when you read the Bible, when you read Acts 9 and Acts 22, as we just read? You see belief. Paul made a choice. Say, what do you mean Paul made a choice? Well, in chapter 9, verse 5, remember Jesus Christ says, It is hard to kick against the goads. Remember who Paul was, his pedigree. A Pharisee of Pharisees. It is hard to kick against the goads, Paul. It is hard to you to kick against the gold, The, the goads, Pharisee, to kick against the goads, student of the law. Say, okay, where's he going with this? Read Exodus 21. The Lord was showing Paul who he is and showing Paul who he is. Paul, you're just the ox. You're just the ox. And it's hard to kick against the goats. And what do you have? The belief. Paul believed. Verse 16, Ananias says, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. So what do we have? Repentance. The baptism of John. Remember how Paul would go into towns? Of what baptism do you teach? Remember uh, Achilla and Priscilla unto Apollos? Of what baptism do you teach? People would say, even Apollos. I I teach the baptism of, of John. Which is fine. It's the baptism of repentance. But there's another baptism, a greater baptism. And you know what that is? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's religion. And I say that as a former Catholic. The Lord rescued me from Catholicism. It's the Helper. Residing inside of you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see and understand how the Holy Spirit can, you know, fall upon somebody and skip a person. Just as we saw with Simon. Because their heart is not right with the Lord. So with Paul, you have belief. You have repentance, the baptism unto John. Repentance, but then you also have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what you read in Acts 9, verse 17 and 18. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are hardcore truths because there's this common thought, mainly among, you know, my reformist friends. They say, boom, the Holy Spirit, poof, the Holy Spirit made Paul a Christian. But no, there's a process involved. What is that process? Belief, repentance, repentance the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The same as Acts chapter 2. Turn with me really quick to Acts chapter 2. Verse 37 and 38. Acts chapter 2 verse 37 says this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. That's what truth does. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? It's the realization of guilt. Peter was speaking about Jesus Christ and these people were cut to the heart. The realization of like, oh my goodness, I have sinned. I believe in Jesus Christ. Now what in the world do I do? Peter, what do I do? So there's belief, check mark. 38, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent, repent. Check mark number two. That's repent. That's the baptism of John. uh, 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 Baptism of John, which is uh, 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 repentance. The baptism of repentance. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then there's the third baptism you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, three things. Belief, repentance, and baptism of the Holy Spirit. For my reformist friends, if you're you're listening, and you're, you know, of the uh, Presbyterian-like, or Reformed-like, or even Calvinist, I don't say this to... Go against the grain of your heart. I say it to allow the truth of God's Holy Word to teach us these things. And that you can be of good comfort and understanding how the Lord works. Belief, repentance and baptism of the Holy Spirit. It happened with Paul. I know people like to think, you know, poof, the Holy Spirit made Paul a Christian. But no, you have to understand the law. Not in application of the law, but understand the law, the spirit of the law. And what the Lord was asking, When what the Lord said of Paul when he was saying, it's hard to kick against the goat, isn't it, Paul? The Lord was putting him in his place, his proper place. So verse 16 of Acts 22 is a hardcore verse in understanding deeper truths about this, I don't want to say process, but it it is a process. This holy process. Belief, repentance, and baptism of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people have, you know, just two. Belief and uh, the baptism of repentance. A lot of people. And that's religion. That's religion. The Holy Spirit, That's like soaring. (laughs) Religion will keep you grounded. But like the Holy Spirit, you'll be flying. You'll be soaring. You say, I don't get it. What do you mean by saying all this? Well, really quick, I don't want to get off topic too much, but I just want to explain this a little bit deeper. In verse, chapter 8. In chapter 8. Something, have you heard me mention about how the Holy Spirit skipped Simon? So Simon, in in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 13, Simon also believed. Remember, he was one of uh, Philip's uh, fish. You know, Philip the Evangelist, verse 5. You know, Philip went to the city of Samaria. Verse 13, Simon himself also believed. And in verse 15 says that there was prayer for the people these new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit verse 16 for as yet he the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon none of or had fallen upon none of them they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Lord Jesus that's like many today repentance unto Jesus Christ which is a good thing but it's religion there is more and that might be you as it was with me at one point in my life when i was lukewarm i got to say when i was lukewarm when i was cold and lukewarm i was i only had two steps i believed and i had the baptism of repentance the baptism of john the baptist repentance but when i got on fire when i you know when i got hot for the lord it was the baptism of the holy spirit look what happened with simon simon the, the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon. Simon was included in the bunch of believers. You say like, wow, okay, so Simon's a believer. Yeah, he's a believer, but there's something different about him in a bad way. The Holy Spirit had fallen on none of them, and then they they had only been baptized in the in in the name of the Lord Jesus, baptism of repentance. In verse seventeen, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit, except the Holy Spirit skipped Simon. Why? Well, you see what happened. Simon wanted to buy the the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. You see? That's why the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon. The Holy Spirit knew this guy's heart isn't right. So, I'll just skip over him and go to these other people. Be very careful with religion, my friend. If you're cold, if you're lukewarm, there is very high probability that of the three steps, you have two steps belief, which is good, repentance, which is good, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's best. And where do I want you to be? In the best column. Pray. Just like verse 24, like, what's the remedy? Then Simon answered and said, Pray, pray, uh, 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 well, verse 26, Simon says, Repent. Of your wickedness, that you know the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. You know, when I was cold, when I was lukewarm, I myself, I did, I was bound by bitterness, poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. See, It tells you a little picture about Simon. Instead of Simon saying, okay, I'm going to repent and I'm going to pray to the Lord, Simon says, no, can you pray for me? No personal relationship. No special intimacy with Jesus Christ. Peter, you pray for me. Instead of saying, I'll pray. Remember, the veil was torn. From top to bottom, the veil is torn. You have free access to the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Go to him. Seek him. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. So you might be hearing my words today. And you're like, man, I'm lukewarm. Man, I'm cold, I believe. But, you know, I like my crack. I believe and you know what? I've repented, but man, I really love my sex. You know what a better way is? Don't be bound by iniquity. Don't be filled with bitterness. Don't be filled with all these uh, fruits of the flesh, works of the flesh. It's further denial of self and go to the high priest. And just like I did, say, Lord, I blew it. Lord, I'm blowing it, you know. And I don't say this to hurt you. I don't say this to bring about pain. I say this to wash you with the Word of God. I say this to cleanse you with the Word of God. And I say this to awaken you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember in the last days, look at the equation that we're given in Holy Scripture. Chop up the church into three pieces. You have the false church, the apostate church, and then you have the refined church. So that alone makes the refined church is already a narrow path. So scrape off the two and leave the one, which is the refined church. And among the refined church, what do you have? A 50 50 split. 50% are foolish, 50% are wise. You know who the wise ones are? The ones with oil in their lamps. Not just in their lamps, but a reserve. For when the darkness comes. The foolish virgins, they run out of oil. That's why you hear me say, be very selfish with the oil. That oil is for you and your lamp, not for anybody else's. It's for you. That's why you hear me say sometimes, you know, I speak, you know, to a congregation, but then I also speak individually. Because the oil is for you. And you need to store oil for your lamp for when the darkness comes. And it's coming. I could say it's already here, but it's going to get worse. So my words, sometimes my words can be abrasive. And I don't want to, it's not that I aim to hurt. But you read the word, if you're like me, I read the Bible and whoa, how abrasive is the word of God sometimes. You know, and how gentle the word of God is sometimes depends on your heart. Sometimes I read something, it's like, wow, Lord, this is so beautiful. I turn the page, it's like a knife in my heart, like, whoa, Lord, you're doing some major, you know, a gut job in my heart. You know why? Because He's moving you closer and closer and closer to death. As you're alive, death to self. That's how He works. So consider, you know, where do you want to be? Consider that equation I just gave. The church being chopped up into the false church, the apostate church, and the refined church. Where do you want to be? I mean, if you say I want to be part of the apostate church, you know that we got some work to do. <laughs> I want to be part of the false church. Okay, well, you know, we got some work to do. You say I want to be part of the refined church. Okay, praise the Lord. Let's together be in the refined church. Now that we're here, now where do you want to be? Two roads. You can be foolish or you can be wise. We're virgins, but you can be foolish or you can be wise. Now the narrow path as you see is exactly how narrow it is. So these are hardcore truths that we're confronted with. He's like, man, my whole life, I've been taught that, poof, the Holy Spirit made Paul a Christian, a believer. Poof, instantly. No, there's a process. The same holy process that we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. And Paul continuing, uh, giving his uh, testimony unto the Jews, speaking in Hebrew. He says this in uh, chapter 22, verse 17. He says this. Now, it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. This is ecstasy. Ecstasy. Just like we saw with uh, 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 Peter when he was up on the roof. He was also in a trance. Ecstasy. You see how Satan you know, changes these things. Have you ever been in prayer with the Lord? And you're, you're in prayer. You have an intimate moment with the Lord. And it breaks your heart to even say amen, to even utter the word amen. It kills you. To say amen. Why? Because you got to open your eyes. (laughs) You got to open your eyes. Amen. Open your eyes. And it's like, man, I'm still here. That's what I'm going to do. You know, when it's my, if death is imminent, I'm just going to pray. It's like, man, every time I pray, I hate coming to the amen part. I hate it. Because I have to open my eyes and realize I'm still here. But if death is imminent and it's like, okay, I'm gonna get my head blown off, I'm gonna tell the guy, I love you, God loves you, you know, repent and receive Jesus Christ. And I'm just gonna close my eyes and start to pray because I won't have to say amen anymore. Praise be to the Lord. This is the intimacy that Paul is having with the Lord. I was praying. I was, you know, praying in the temple. That I was in a trance that's ecstasy. How Satan turns ecstasy. I mean, now they have drugs, ecstasy. Satan turns it. He turns out, look what he did with the rainbow. I shouldn't say what he did. Look what he attempts to do with the rainbow. He changes the symbolism of something beautiful. He offers the drug ecstasy. He offers a rainbow, which, you know, is symbolic for, you know, all kinds of works of the flesh. But you read the Bible, ecstasy in prayer with the Lord. Wow, it's beautiful. It's like you're in another place. Intimacy with him. The rainbow, you read the word of God, what's the rainbow? Wow, it's beautiful. It's like a, when you see a rainbow in the sky, you read the you know the, the, the promises of God? It's like a window. You know what's on the other side of the rainbow? The throne room of the Lord. And there he is. It's his promise. It's like a little like a little window. I mean, you know, we live in the age of coronavirus. You know you go see family and you can't like hug you can't embrace you have to see like a window Yeah, like you know open the window and you see the family and you're waving you know hi no embracing anymore and that's what it's like with the promises of the Lord through the rainbow it's like a glass it's so cool because you have the rainbow what do you have in glass prism you know the sun hits. A piece of glass in a certain way? What do you see on the ground? You know, what do you see the reflection? You know, you see the prism, the rainbow. You see the promises of God. It's like, wow, on the other side of that rainbow. It's like, wow, Lord. It's like the coronavirus, you know? He's like waving at you. Through the prism. How beautiful, how intimate we can be with the Lord. If you're intimate with the Lord, praise be to the Lord. Be more intimate. If you're not intimate with the Lord, you know, get there. Get there. What's your prayer life like with the Lord? Talk to Him. Read His Word. And close your eyes. You know what's so, you don't have to close your eyes, but I recommend closing your eyes. You know why? You just shut yourself down to the things of the world. Just close your eyes. You look at all the problems in the world. You can watch TV, look at watch the news, watch all the problems in the world. You can look outside your window and see your neighbors getting a fight. You know, depending on where you live, you know, you might see all kinds of horrendous things. Whatever. You close your eyes. Boom. It's all gone. And then you enter ecstasy with the Lord. That's what happened with Paul when he was in the temple, praying. And so in verse 18, and saw him saying, remember, he's in his trance. He's having intimacy with the Lord. And remember what was also said in verse 14, to know his will. You, You were purposed that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. And we see that fulfillment right here in verse 18. And saw him saying to me, make haste. The Lord, red letters, the Lord is saying to him, hurry up, Paul. Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Notice, intimacy has reciprocity. The reciprocal nature of intimacy with Jesus Christ. You unto Him, Him unto you. That's deep. That's personal. Because you could be in a home with a family and who has intimacy with the Lord? I could say like I hope everybody, but in reality, maybe it's not everybody. You say, man, you know what kind of pep talk is this no, it's not it's it's truth it's 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 fulfillment I say what do you mean fulfillment well, what does the Lord teach us in Matthew ten verse? 35 for I have come to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother and a mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be those of his own household you see it's fulfillment I've talked to people in broken homes yeah they live together but like you know you have unbelievers and believers or maybe believer and unbelievers one believer in a home of you know five one believer In a home of two, one believer in a home of, you know, fill in the blank. Or in the age of coronavirus, you know, people have lost their jobs. What do they do? They go back and, you know, shack up with mommy and daddy. So you have like, you know, multiple families. Uh, Parents, they live in a house, empty nesters, and then coronavirus hits, the kids lose their jobs, and you have like four different families in a home. What if there was one believer? Imagine what that would be like. For that believer thus fulfilling what the lord taught us a man's enemies will be those of his own household he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me he who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it fulfillment I pray that everybody under a roof is a believer and has intimacy with the Lord. But if it's not not the case, pray. Be a missionary. Be a fisherman in your home. Storing plenty of oil for when things get dark and darker and darker. And the Lord, the reciprocal nature of intimacy with the Lord. He's seeking the Lord and the Lord is speaking to him. In verse 19, So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. This is the people of the way. He says, they know me. They know me, Lord. I, I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. The people of the way. I beat them up. I had them imprisoned. And when the blood of your, of your martyr, Stephen, beautiful Stephen. Paul writes, Paul mentions that it's your martyr. Stephen is yours. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Paul is saying, Lord, they know me. Paul is having an intimate conversation with the Lord. verse 21, then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. You see, Paul is giving him directions. And Paul is being obedient to the directions. Okay, Lord. The Lord said, you know, hurry, get out of here. And Paul said, but they know me, Lord. And then the Lord reiterated, no, Paul, get out of here. Okay. I said my peace, Lord, but, you know, your will, not my will. Your perfect will, Lord, not my will. People like to make that, people like to change it up and say, God has his will and his God has his perfect will. No, there's God's will and God's will, period. And God is perfect. His will is perfect. Abide in him. Verse 21. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And verse 22. Now you see Paul's audience. Remember, Paul is speaking to the audience. And, you know, there was great silence in chapter 21, verse 40. There was great silence. And then in verse 2 of chapter 22, there's even more silence. And now in verse 22, they break their silence. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. You know what they're doing? They are attempting to fulfill The letter of the law. The letter of the law. Remember, the letter of the law kills. The law brings forth death. Just like Paul was, before he came to Christ, he was a worker of the letter of the law. And then the Lord opened his eyes. The scales fell from his eyes. And he understood the spirit of the law when the fulfillment of the law told him, Hey, Paul, or hey, Saul. It's hard to kick kick against the goads, isn't it, Paul? Isn't it, Saul? Why do you persecute me? You see? They say to Paul, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. These are people who are blind and deaf to the spirit of the law blind and deaf to the fulfillment of the law verse 23 then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into them into the air the commander remember the commander is like a colonel i'm I'm putting this in modern day terms in accordance with u.s military but you know a colonel has greater rank than a captain you know a captain would be like the guard of a like almost like a centurion but then the uh, the commander of the colonel is like you know uh, a thousand a thousand troop and so uh, in verse 24 then the commander like the colonel equivalent ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging that he should be judiciously investigated under scourging so this is like old school wicklander with waterboarding you know i don't know if you're if you happen to be listening and you're averse to certain aspects of, uh, of law enforcement at certain levels of government you know you know what this means and that's what this commander is saying hey let's let's put him under the lamp let's examine this guy so that we might know why they shouted so against him. Remember in, uh, in chapter 21, verse 33, what we looked at last week? We're going to look at it again really quick. Verse 33 of chapter 21 says, Then the commander came near and took him, this is Paul, and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who, what, who he was and what he had done. Remember, there was this great commotion that arose amongst the Jews. And so, you know, they were like, Well, we got to get out there. This is, this is crazy. We got to control this riot. What's happening? Who is this guy, Paul? Put him in chains. Who are you? Who is this guy? Are you this Egyptian? Are you the Egyptian who, like the, uh, 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 stirred up a rebellion uh, and led 4,000 assassins? You know, you read the history of the Essenes or of the uh, what are they? The Sakari, you know, a Jewish sect that were anti-Rome. And the Sakari, Read the history. And you start to understand like, whoa, well, these are like straight up assassins. That's how the Sicari, I and mean, like the uh, certain mafia groups, they have this uh, the, the uh, Sicario. That's where they get, they base it off as the Sicari, a bunch of assassins. And so like you have certain gang groups and uh, cartels. Yeah, that's what they base their name off of. I'm getting a little, not off topic, but just to explain what the Sicari were, this Jewish sect, sect of assassins. And that's who this, uh, the, the commander, the colonel, He thought Paul was, well, are are you the leader of these assassins? The the Sicarii, is that you? But like, no, that's not me. After he gave gave his testimony to the Jewish people speaking in Hebrew. And so in verse 24, he gave the, in chapter 22, verse 24, he gave the command, the commander gave the, the order. Examine this guy, examine Paul under scourging. So that we might know why they shouted so against him, what, what did they shout? Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Kill him. That's what they were saying. Let's kill him. And the commander was like, "Okay, we gotta find out who this guy is." Verse twenty-five, as they and as they bound him with thongs like tie straps, Paul said to his centurion. Paul said to the centurion who stood by. So it's not the commander. The commander is like you know a thousand leader of a thousand men. He went lower in command. Paul said to the centurion who stood by, so kind of like a captain level, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Whoa, whoa. Paul is now invoking his rights as a Roman citizen. The invocation of his rights as a Roman citizen, Paul is using it here. You say, like, well, he did it in Acts 16, too. Well, he, you could say he kind of did, you know, to the jailers, and the, but it was for the benefit of the lambs in Philippi. Remember, the, the protection of the lambs, the new brand new church in Philippi. Brand new church, brand new believers, lambs, young lambs. Imagine what Philippi would have been left, you know, if he got out of jail and went to the next town over. Imagine what it would have happened to the lambs, to the young Christians left in philippi. So, you could say Paul invoked his rights as a Roman citizenship, but here it's a little different. In in chapter 16, he just it was like, you know, I want these guys to, you know, let them come and let me get out of jail. When you read the account, listen to our sermon, our study in chapter 16, you'll get what I mean. But here his invocation as a Roman citizenship as a Roman citizen It's for himself, for the benefit of himself. Chapter 16, it was for the benefit of others, for the lambs, the new believers in Philippi. But then at the same time, you see here, it's for himself. But when it's for himself, it leads to his imprisonment, ultimately to his death. You say, well, what do you mean? Are you talking about a denial of rights? Absolutely. A denial of rights? Absolutely. Denial of rights even more so. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9. Denial of rights and even more. Luke chapter 9 verse 23. Then he said to them all, red letters, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So yes, a denial of rights and even more, a denial of self. A denial of self. Just like we see with Paul. You see like, wait a second, Paul's invoking his rights. I know. Where does that get him? Especially knowing that the Lord has been ministering. The Holy Spirit has been ministering to him that chains and tribulation await him. Especially knowing that the counsel of the brethren were like, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. It's dangerous for you. Don't go, don't go, don't go. And he went anyways. You say, was he disobedient to counsel? No, obedient to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because the Lord, remember when the Lord spoke to Ananias? And the Lord said, Ananias, he is my vessel. And I must show him the things he must suffer for my name. Paul is obedient. Obedient. Even while invoking his rights as a Roman citizen. And we're going to understand that in future chapters when we see what happens to him as a result of the invocation of these rights. And so in verse 26, when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander saying, Take care of what you do. Now I'll say something about this. The equivalent of a captain is going to the equivalent of a colonel and saying be careful. That's that's almost unheard of. I'll explain that. A lower rank, I mean, like, uh, there, there is fin- finality to orders given of higher ranks. Uh, verse 24, the commander, the colonel level, a colonel equivalent, the commander ordered. That was the order of the commander. You know, go, go to the barracks, uh, put him in shackle. We're going to examine him under scourging. That was, the, that was the order. And for someone in lower rank to go back to the commander, and not only like we didn't fulfill your command we didn't we didn't obey your command commander colonel but I also have to tell you be careful you don't say that to higher ranking officials you know in certain circles you know in certain units you don't do that you know it's it's almost unheard in the circles that I was with it's unheard of you don't do it it's, there's finality to certain orders. So this verse, it came as a shock. It was like, whoa, like what is, it? what is this guy doing? He's like, it really speaks highly of what was happening here with the invocation of Roman citizenship. Because he says, he goes back to the commander, be careful with this guy. For this man is a Roman woe. That's hardcore stuff. Because under Roman law, there are special rights given to citizens. Not everybody has citizenships under People can live under Rome, that's fine. You can have a business under Rome, that's fine. But it could be confiscated at any time. It was under the privilege of Rome. You had the privilege to have a business in Rome. You had the privilege to be a resident in, in Rome. You had the privilege to you know, do things in Rome. It was a privilege under Roman law. But to actually be a citizen with voting rights and privileges, it, it wasn't for anybody. It was a big deal. Huge deal. And when Paul says, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Because being uncondemned, to do that to a Roman citizen, the penalty is death. So, like, if you say you're a commander... And I'm a, a centurion, and you give an order, hey, beat this guy. And I come back to you and I say, uh, I didn't beat this guy. You'd be like, whoa, you get on my case. You'd probably scourge me. And then you, uh, I say, well, be careful with this guy. And, and you know, I didn't scourge him, but let me tell you why. He's a Roman citizen. Whoa. He's uncondemned, an uncondemned Roman citizen. The penalty upon me, the penalty upon you as uh, captain and colonel is death under Roman law. There's special rights afforded to Roman citizens. And Roman citizens, it's not like today where citizenship is just granted for nothing. You know, it's, it's either paid at a very high price or you're born into it. Somebody paid a very high price. Or you're born into that, and so he says, "Be careful, take heed for what take take care of what you do." For this man is a Roman. Then the commander, verse twenty seven, came and said to him, "Tell me, are you a Roman?" He said, "Yes." The commander, Colonel level answered, "With a large sum, I obtained this citizenship." And Paul said, "But I was born a citizen." You know what I love about this. It's never revealed. Like from here, like this is the first time we see like, wow, Paul was born as a Roman citizen. I might have mentioned it before, but that was just in study, referencing these passages. But chronologically speaking, from this point, before this point, we've we've never known this. Paul never rested on this fact. He never wanted special perks. Oh, I'm a Roman citizen, so therefore, you know, you should do what I say. Look how special I am. Look how awesome I am. No, he denied that fact. Not only a denial of his rights. Remember, in in Philippi, in chapter 16, in Philippi, when he was thrown in jail with Silas and bound, the the, 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 uh, the, the magistrates, they could have been killed. Killed under Roman law. The jailer killed under Roman law. But what happened? The jailer became a Christian. You see? Paul not only denied his rights, he denied himself. And who was with him in the early stages of that, you know, Paul's companions? Little Timmy. Little Timothy. A future pastor. That's right, when you read... First Timothy, first and second Timothy, you start to understand this concept of self denial. It's an asset for the Christian. It's an asset in the body of Christ, and I, I say asset, but it's uh, there's really I don't have a word for it. It is an asset, but it's like an asset much more than that. Never revealed that Paul. He didn't rest on that fact. Oh, I'm a Roman citizen, so you know what? You gotta. You don't put me in jail. No, he took jail. I'm a Roman citizen, so don't bind my feet. Don't bind my hands. No, he denied that. Oh, I'm a Roman citizen, so don't beat me up. No, he took it. I want, did other brothers know about this? Did other sisters know about this and their intimacy with Paul? I don't know. I doubt it. And it's revealed to the one, when Paul says it, it's revealed to the one who ordered his scourging. The commander. Denial of rights. The invocation of these rights leads to his imprisonment and his death. It's hardcore to be a Roman citizen. You get very special rights. I mean, read the history books of what, what you get, the perks of being a Roman citizen. It's pretty hardcore. It's pretty... Pretty plush. And Paul denied it. I was born a citizen, he said. Verse 29, Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. Like, whoa. Okay, let's not touch this guy. Withdrew from him and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. So he was already... Under Roman law, he could be killed because a Roman citizen was bound. Notice that there's absolute no fear of God. there is plenty of fear of Rome. Plenty of fear of Rome to go around. No fear of the Lord. And so, in verse 30, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So, this is where we're going to end our study. But what's so interesting here is in accordance under Roman law as a Roman citizen, Roman citizen, there's you have rights to a fair trial. You know, a lot of our... Uh, Legal system, you know, I I I I live in America, and a lot of our legal system it's based on uh, uh, quasi Roman's uh, 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 Roman law, in application of like you know rights of the accused, uh, uh, right to a, a jury, right to appear before your accuser, certain rights it's, uh, that are derived from Rome are applied in U.S. law. Now. We see deviation from that where, you know, you're guilty, you're accused and you're guilty. You see that a lot. But under Roman law, we're starting to see what's happening here. Paul is going to get a fair trial. Well, put fair in in quotes, but he's, as a Roman citizenship, he's able to appear before his accusers. Plaintiff and defendant. Plaintiff being the Jews, defendant being Paul. And from here to the end of the book of Acts, we're going to follow Paul to his Roman captivity. And from here to chapter 27, it reads much like a legal brief. If you ever read legal briefs, you know, blank versus blank, and you read it, and you read the briefings of of, of correlating time frames, that's how it reads from this point on until chapter 27. It reads much like a legal brief, legal dissertation, legal papers. And it's kind of cool because it's like, wow, it's like a, historical account of like what is happening to paul and the whole time in between time you know what's happening too he's also writing letters to the churches (laughs) he's writing letters to christians he's writing letters to home fellowships he's writing letters it's so cool because like like we're gonna read like all this stuff and it's gonna read like a legal brief uh, correlating with this time frame he's exhorting the church He's exhorting the the church, teaching them, exhorting them. In denial of self, he's exhorting them, hey, deny yourself, you guys. Let's run the race. And he's not a hypocrite. He himself is running his race to the end. He himself being poured out as a drink offering unto the Lord. And nobody is with him. You know, he writes to Pastor Timothy, only Luke is with me. You know, get the papers, send me the papers. I need the papers. Why? So he could write. Give me the parchments so he could write. You know, parchment number one, write a letter. Parchment number two, write a letter. Parchment number three, oh, I'll send this to this church. You see how beautiful he is. Dead to side. I say dead man walking. Dead man walking, alive in Christ. He's the one who says to live is Christ to die is gay. Yeah, he's going to go to jail. Yeah, he's going to be put in prison. Yeah, he's going to get his head chopped off. And it breaks my heart. It kills me. But in the perspective of eternity, wow, what an encouragement. What a hero this guy is. What a beautiful... And since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what does the writer of Hebrews tell us? He says this. In closing, in Hebrews 12, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God bless you guys. Love you guys.